0: on first, what's on second, I don't know on third. You're killing me, small. There's no crying in baseball. Eye on the ball, okay? One, okay. two, three, strike. That guy was a bro. <laughs> and his name is Dan Ugly. Let's go Bucks. Oh, uh, you're calling me weird. God,
1: God bless Bucks. America. God bless the
2: queen. <laughs> welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Top Step. I'm Paul Fritschner. Steve Miller is on the line with me over Zoom. And welcome back, Steve. It's been a week and it's been not a very eventful week or at least not as eventful as we would have hoped as far as Major League Baseball goes. Um, Still grinding for the Major Leagues to get back to show some semblance of playing a season. Uh, Manfred said yesterday or today, I think he said it yesterday, that he's guaranteeing unequivocally that Major League Baseball will play a season this, this year. But whether that's a season that people will uh give a lot of credence to or whether it's like a 45 game season that's yet to be seen but something's gonna happen with baseball hopefully it's not too far around the corner
1: hello uh yeah <laughs> hopefully we're, we're all kind of holding out and hoping for a baseball season i mentioned to you the other day that for the first time in my life i'm actually looking forward to watching the nba i've never been much of an nba fan but i started following in a bit this year And it looks like that might be the first sport back. So uh, we'll get on to that. And then um, with MLB, uh, who really knows? But the way I see it, the shorter the season, the higher the chance the Marlins make the playoffs for the first time in uh, 17 years. So I can hold out for that too.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it and you think about last year with the Nats, 50 games into the season, the Nats were 19-31. and and one of the worst teams in baseball and by the end they'd made the wild card and eventually went on to win the world series if you're playing a 52 or 56 game season the Nats finished last year is one of the worst teams in all of baseball so some I've seen some people say how much how much uh, you know credence are you really going to give to this season well I, I don't know I, I think I'll let it play out but Frankly, I think the 82-game season that they've proposed might be kind of fun. I've heard 79 tossed around. Who knows, man? Who knows what they're going to finish up with?
1: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the season's a marathon as it is. 50 games sounds like a lot, but as you mentioned, like, yeah, last year, really any year if you look at 50 games, how well does that really reflect, you know, the final outcome of the year? So, yeah. uh, It'll be interesting either way.
2: Well – for today's interview Steve and I are going to run our interview with Dan Steinberg that we recorded with him at the Washington Post headquarters back in the summer of 2017 and it was a great interview got uh to talk to Dan and then we also got to catch up with our old friend Scott Allen we're not going to run that one today I think that'll be next week somewhere down the line we have that one stored up and ready to republish and uh today though we're going to put out the dan steinberg interview which i thought steve was a lot of fun and he gave some great info and some good tidbits back from then that are still time uh i don't want to say time sensitive but still apply here in uh 2020 even though it was a three-year-old interview
1: yeah definitely dan's a fun guy uh for sure and as we talk about in the interview he started the dc sports blog over at the washington post and it's a good group of journalists they have over there and they um, they kind of take a lighthearted approach to sports writing for sure. They cover a lot of stuff that happens uh, off the field or near the field um, that fans would be interested in rather than just the technicalities of what happens between the lines. So we get into a little bit of the culture with Dan Steinberg, um, but the primary focus and the primary context, I think, for talking about um, everything that we talked about with him was... Just the state of D.C. sports at the time, because Dan has been writing for the Post for several years now. And he's originally from Buffalo, which is a city kind of wrought with its own sports misfortunes for a decent amount of time. Uh, And he came to D.C. in the middle of what ended up being about a 25-year drought without any of the major sports teams in the city advancing to a national semifinal. So that was a big topic of conversation uh, with us for him because at that point, it was in the middle of a baseball season. The Nats had been to the NLDS and failed to advance past the NLDS three times in the previous five years. They would do it again that year. And then 2018 was looming as Bryce Harper's final year of his contract. So that also steered the conversation a little bit.
2: Yeah, and the D.C. sports drought, eventually ended up finishing um, in 2018 when the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. But at the time, it was kind of a battle between the Caps and the Nats who was going to end that drought first. But it was the Caps and then the Nats two years later. No, one year later, year and a half later.
1: Year and a half later, yeah. I mean, both those teams were so promising. Both the Caps and the Nats had great success in their respective leagues uh, throughout the regular season, but, but neither could really advance past that, uh, I guess, penultimate league round. Um, yeah. And I mean, the, the NHL playoffs are signal. There are one round longer than the major league baseball playoffs. So we, what we talked about in the interview, I remember was kind of which team had that better shot. Even the wizards at that point had been to the, the equivalent to the division series a couple of times uh, in the NBA and the Nats, we agreed, had the best shot to do it and to break the curse first because simply they only had to win one round, presumably, in the playoffs, and they would advance to the NLCS. Um, it was funny, though, the, the next year the Capitals go to the playoffs, and I remember sitting in a bar in Dayton, and they played the Blue Jackets in the first round, and uh, it was just like classic Capitals. They get out to a like a 2-0 series lead. Everything's looking fantastic. And then the, the blue jackets just like storm back and the capitals are on the ropes. And I just seemed like, you know, another year in DC sports and it was gonna end. And um the Capitals were able to turn the corner, and win that series. Uh I guess we had win another, win yeah, the beat beat Pittsburgh in the second round. Yep. Kuznetsov scored. <laughs> As you recall. Yeah.
2: I was at a bar in downtown Cincinnati standing outside watching that game on my phone because nobody had it on the TV, and uh, I remember watching that there. And then the uh, championship, the Stanley Cup final, I was in the 11th or 12th inning of a five-hour baseball broadcast Mm -hmm. with the Florence Freedom, and it was a game that originally we thought in like the seventh or eighth inning – it was going to be, like, a two-hour game, and I thought I was going to be home to watch, like, the entire third period. Yeah. And then somebody tied the game in, like, the – I don't know if the – Freedom tied the game, which actually they're now the y'alls. But the – I don't know if Florence tied the game. The other – doesn't matter. Game got tied in, like, the – bot in the ninth inning at some point. and And it went to – I don't want to say it was, like – Thirteen, fourteen innings, and extras took forever. It was like an entire it was in another like two and a half hours on the game, and uh watched the end, had it pulled up on a separate tab on my computer there in the broadcast booth.
1: yeah, baseball'll do that to you sometimes. the game yep. that never ends, but um yeah, that Easter Conference final was pretty that was seven games, I think wasn't it and then the um
2: yes, I think so.
1: The actual Stanley Cup was pretty uneventful. <laughs> the, uh, oh, against Golden. Oh 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 the Eastern Conference final against the Lightning. Yeah. yeah that was seven games. That was seven games.
2: Yeah. And then the oh yeah, the, the Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup final was I think was five I think that,
1: or four? Or no, it, was no, it, was it wasn't
2: a sweep. I wanna say it was five. Might have been six, but I wanna say it was
1: five. It, yeah. six, it was five because they won it in Vegas. Yes. But, um Yeah. Yeah, relatively uneventful, but I remember uh I had just moved to Texas I forget exactly where in that sequence, but it was within a month of the uh, Stanley Cup final. Yeah. And it was so funny because I had lived in the D.C. area for the previous 11 years, I think. Uh, And literally the month I move, the D.C. sports drought ends, parade ensues, and (laughs) I'm halfway across the country and can't watch it. Uh, Fast forward then to the following summer, 2019, And the Washington Mystics, uh, albeit the WNBA, so it's not generally considered one of the big four sports, but still, uh, they they win a championship, another parade ensues, and then, uh, as we all know, just a few months later, the Nats win in the World Series. Uh, Unfortunately, the Nats didn't win at home either, Uh, so I guess we've yet to see a, a major championship won in D.C., and I don't even know how long did the bullets ever win <laughs> one in DC, but I don't but, remember.
2: I don't yeah. think the bullets ever won one. Yeah, I could be is- I could be way off on that one. I'll double check it, but I want to say the the Wizards franchise is still without a title. But the bullets might have they might have had one um, championship back in the eighties. Hold on, hold on, hold on, bullets. would
1: Be the uh, the next drought to break is winning one on uh, on 1978.
2: There you go. 1978, 1978,
1: the championship, the bullets beat the Seattle supersonics. How about that? Okay. So here, here's a fun anecdote because this is just how my brain works. When the Nats won the world series last year, I was living in Oklahoma uh, for a short period of time. Thanks to the air force. Well, while I was there, I decided to read a book about the history of Oklahoma City because I like to, you know, read up on local culture, local history. It was actually an amazing book. It was written by this guy named Sam Anderson, who's a New York Times uh, magazine columnist. And he, he had done a ton of research into Oklahoma City. He lived there for a couple of years to write this story. And it essentially intertwines the history of the Oklahoma City Thunder basketball team with the actual civic history of Oklahoma City. And one of the reasons that the thunder have their name, the thunder, uh, not just the weather in Oklahoma, it's also it dates back to the 1960s when uh, the Air Force conducted what's known as Operation Bongo, where Oklahoma City, as a city, volunteered to be tested uh, under sonic booms. They had these fighter jets from the local Air Force base fly over the city and break the sonic barrier several times a day we're talking like seven to 12 times each day essentially just to see how well a city a populated city could withstand from a cultural and like leisure standpoint um (laughs) the sonic barrier being broken so close to their homes essentially they were just testing out to see how feasible supersonic aviation was going to be in the united states Where this becomes super ironic, though, is because of the Seattle Supersonics, who are up there, or were up there in Seattle, where Boeing is headquartered. In 2005, when Katrina hit, the Thunder, or excuse me, Oklahoma City took the New Orleans Hornets for a year and just kind of hosted them uh, so that they could play an NBA season. And because Oklahoma City essentially proved that they could host an NBA team, When the Supersonics were being sold, a lot of people thought they were going to move to Oklahoma. Well, the Oklahoma businessmen who bought the Supersonics essentially lied and said that they were intending to keep the team in Seattle if they were able to come to a stadium deal. They put forth a pretty lackluster proposal to the city, which, of course, the city denied. And then they essentially said, well, we tried. We're going to move the team to Oklahoma. So the Supersonics became the Oklahoma City Thunder. And supersonic testing occurred in Oklahoma city back in the 1960s, um, which if you know much about aviation history, we had the the Concorde um, which flew passengers supersonically for uh, a little while. It was a British and French like joint venture, but the U S really never got into it. Um, there were lots of problems with the Concorde and it really never reached fruition. Who knows if we'll even see it again. Uh, <laughs> at least in the near future. But uh, the failed history of supersonic aviation and the failed uh, franchise of the Seattle Supersonics both kind of culminated in Oklahoma City with the Thunder uh, physically and the Thunder as a basketball team.
2: Interesting. I did not know any of that. I did know about the Concorde. I actually just read and watched some videos about the Concord like two nights ago, which is funny you say that. But uh, I did not know that about Oklahoma City. I've been to Oklahoma City, and I didn't know any of that history about, you know, the the sonic booms and all that.
1: I did not know it either. So I do formally recommend the book Boomtown by Sam Anderson. It was uh, published a couple of years ago. So you, anyway, there's that aside for you.
2: <laughs> have you ever thought? And this will be my last point before we get into the Dan interview. Have you ever thought and really like looked at a map of the NBA franchises? And how strange the markets are how unique i don't want to say strange how unique the markets are for the nba uh like the for the nba just in general yeah. uh,
1: the nba has i think the on uh, i guess either on average like, or specifically kind of smaller markets compared to other teams or like other orlando
2: memphis, memphis san antonio
1: uh, oklahoma city
2: Portland, Portland, Salt Lake Utah, City, Salt Lake, yeah, Salt Lake City. Think yeah. about all those random Charlotte.
1: <laughs> Charlotte's a big city, but I, th- I think no, Charlotte. Yeah, they just don't have a baseball team. They got everything else, though. Um, oh yeah, duh, duh. But but no, you you make a good point, and it's. This The book actually kind of talked about this also, Boomtown did, because Oklahoma City wanted a professional sports franchise, like a major league sports franchise, and they built this arena downtown intending to get an, an NHL team because they thought that would just be the easiest to move. The The problem is, and at least the way I see it too, like hockey culture in that part of the country is nowhere near what it's like, you know, in the Northeast or just the North in general. So... I feel like Oklahoma City was kind of already doomed, uh, you know, prevented themselves from getting an NHL team just from that standpoint. But the NBA, if you think about it, would be easier to support because what are the arenas hold like 20,000 people or so for 41 games a year, whereas MLB, it's 81 games a year with like 40,000 people. The NFL, it's like a hundred thousand fans for eight games a year. So it's, 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 you know, different, different capacities that you have.
2: Oh, without further ado, we'll get right into this interview with Dan Steinberg. And like I said, uh, thanks for listening. And I don't know, Steve, what our plan is if we're going to run the Scott one next week, or we'll figure it out. We'll figure out uh, down the road. Next Friday, we'll uh, put another one out. Uh, But for right now, enjoy our interview from Washington Post headquarters with then columnist. Now I think he's just running it. I don't think he actually would consider himself a columnist anymore um
1: he's like an editor now maybe
2: i think he's i think he got promoted to being an editor um but either way this is dan steinberg all right everybody we are downtown at the headquarters of the washington post with dan steinberg of the dc sports bog how are you today dan
0: i'm great i like when podcasters come directly to Come me. to you. Come to me. Usually, I do all this stuff over phone. This is much more. We formal. we do door service here, just like Amazon nowadays. Make your life easier. Washington Post corporate partner Amazon.
2: That was a shout out. Wait, really? Yeah. Are we getting money for that? Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. I,
1: I live in Ohio, and I'm
0: outside. It <laughs> so. was a good name drop. Anyhow, we appreciate. Shout out. You're welcome.
2: Okay, first question: Does Bryce Harper still have you blocked on Twitter?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you have any idea why? I don't know why, no. Maybe it was intentional or maybe it was unintentional. I don't have any relationship with him. I probably should, doing the job that I do. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't, he doesn't, I don't know if he knows who I am, and I don't talk. Like, well, we have a lot of people who cover baseball at the Post, yeah. and I'm
1: not. It could just be for safe measure, he just doesn't want to get mixed up with weird journalists.
2: Are
0: you calling him weird? Uh, Steve, I'm, we're I'm, only I'm, a minute I'm into I'm this.
1: calling the journalism world weird, Paul, and we are. no, involved. no, you're calling me weird. <laughs> okay.
0: Um... You know, five years ago, I, I was doing a less, a little bit of a less serious job, and I think that we embedded some of his tweets. and made, I don't think that I mean I don't think we did it in any sort of malicious way or making fun of him or anything, but I could see him just.
2: Well, if it makes you feel any better, he has said like a million times he doesn't run his own Twitter, so maybe like the person that runs it didn't like you.
0: Uh, I wonder because he, he only uh, runs uh, his he only runs his, his, Instagram, his Instagram he on, right?
2: he, yeah. he runs his own Instagram because he says it builds his own image yeah but he says a million times he doesn't run his own Twitter Who runs his Twitter he he probably has somebody That's like weird. a social media manager
0: he doesn't tweet that often anyhow though no. I don't feel like I'm missing no <laughs> I don't feel like I'm really missing anything no um
2: okay I had I did have a couple of things so I I, you okay, know, I so had I had written down. Go ahead. I,
0: no, I wish that I did have a relationship with Bryce. He's, I mean, he's one of the three or four most compelling athletes right. in Washington, D.C., and I write about Washington, D.C. athletes, and, like, I should have a relationship with him. But, like, Barry Svilluga has a great relationship with him here at the Post, and so I let him. He does the, the dirty him. work? No, I mean, I, th- I think I mean I wish I had that relationship, but I don't. Oh, maybe I once see what he you're listens saying. to this podcast, yeah, he will reconsider.
1: <laughs> once, yeah. once yeah. yeah,
2: he'll he'll get on with us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, in comparison to the the other DC superstars, talk about Wall or Ovechkin, Cousins. I mean, those are the big four. But um, is Harper the most national of all of those? National as in that's not a good Washington question. Nationals yeah, that's a good country. question.
0: <laughs> I think certainly if you compare what he means to the sport nationally to what he means to the sport in Washington, without a doubt, he means more to baseball relative to those other guys. Do you know what I mean? Wall is yeah, not like a right. top 10 star in the NBA. Cousins certainly not a top 10 star um, in football. Ovechkin ha- has been in the past for the NHL. I don't know that he still is. Maybe he still is um, based on his persona, but not based on his performance anymore. But, you know, Harper, I think, there's probably ways to measure this, but, I, I mean, I would imagine... By popularity, he's got to be top five. five Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he's like compelling and he's brash. He's got a big personality and he hits home runs and he does stuff that other baseball players won't do and he's outspoken. Yeah, Um, so I think that he's more important to baseball maybe than any of those other guys are to their sport. I guess Ovechkin in the past, but I don't
1: know if he still is. And I think that even more so than the Nationals not winning or going far in the playoffs is what's going to hurt the Nets next year when Harper's going to decide somewhere else to play. you Do know? you right. think he's gone? Oh. I think most people think he's... But the learners have gone. the money to
2: do it.
0: They
1: do, but I'm saying... Uh,
2: Aren't the learners the richest owners in baseball? Or one of the richest?
0: They, yeah, they're at least one of, if not the... I think maybe they, though.
2: I but, think they are the richest. They could not be. I, I, right.
0: I would guess... And maybe I'm wrong, but I would guess that if it doesn't happen, the reason would be because Bryce wants to play somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah that's that's. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I, like, that's I, his right if he wants to. Like, obviously, he grew up dreaming of playing in of uh, playing in pinstripes. He has, you know, big ties to the West Coast. I know he likes certain aspects of being in Washington. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that he might be the kind of guy who would like playing in a town where he could be more nationally famous and where his sport wasn't the second show in town. You know what I mean? Like, he knows that the Nationals are probably always going to be second fiddle to the Redskins, and it's just kind of a a different place. But he he likes, like, he loves the patriotism aspect. Dusty Baker said yesterday that he wanted to take him out of the lineup on um, July 4th when he was resting a bunch of the other regulars, and and Bryce said, this is, like, my birthday. Like, (laughs) I need to play on this day. And so he kept him in the lineup on July 4th and took him out on July 5th instead. Yeah, that's so great. I love that. July 4th doesn't mean the same thing if you're playing in you know LA or something like that July 4th is like a big deal in Washington yeah
2: Yeah. so you you personally when you go about a day and we talked to Scott about this when you're trying to find stories is it everything just happen organically for you or is it people sending you like hey this would be good to write about or like how do you how do you want a typical day find like what you
0: it changes all the time like my typical day I used to write four or five things a day You know, and now I'm supposed to write fewer things that are better, but I don't know that I do that. I definitely write fewer things. Um, But also, like, I have, like, a baby now, and so, like, that's changed my workflow a lot. Like, I I do a lot less work at night than I used to. I keep a list. Let me see if I can. If you're watching the video feed of this, you'll get to see. See, I've got, like, lists of, um, like, possible things to write about that I just carry around with me. I see. (laughs) Multiple lists here. (laughs) Parking passes. Um, <laughs> but people do, I mean, mostly via Twitter, but also, like, occasionally via email. People send me ideas, often good ones, um, that sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But, like, I, I think it used to be a lot more I would get my ideas from other people when I was doing a lot m- more items in a day. Now that I'm doing fewer things, maybe it's more obvious what I'm going to write about. Like, I wrote about Otto Porter's contract yesterday because he got a max offer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. that was, like, just... Kind of a natural thing if you'd asked me four days ago what are you going to be doing on wednesday i don't know that i would have said that but uh, so i kind of react to events
2: okay you, you talked about emails that's a pretty good segue for us because we were going to ask you like how do you combat or deal with or have fun with all of those reader emails that you get whether negative yeah. or positive because you tweet them out all the time and i just think it's great
0: yeah but they're not as many as there should be really like i I should be more controversial, and I should be more um, provocative, and I would get even more emails. And and just since I've been here, like obviously, email is not as big of a thing as it used to be, and I like columnists do not get as many emails as they used to. Like I get, in terms of like random reader emails, maybe like maybe ten a week. Oh wow. Just oh really? Pay. Yeah. I mean, it definitely used to be way more. If if I write something like particularly provocative, it'll be a lot more. Um, like Sally Jenkins today wrote about how Kirk Cousins should take a stance on behalf of all NFL players and hold out for more guaranteed money. Not hold out, but like, yeah, not sign this, um, not sign a long term deal and, and keep his options open and try to get more guaranteed money in the future. I bet you she'll get 30, 40, 50 emails off of that column. I bet, but um, in general, we don't get as many as we do it, which I think means that a far greater proportion of them are weirdos and cranks who do send emails. <laughs> So I try to write back to people. I mean, a lot of the ones I tweet are people are obviously unhinged. Oh, yeah. And so maybe I don't write back to them. But I write back. I try to write back to most people who email me. And a lot of times if people are critical and if you explain yourself a little bit and say this is what I meant and this is where I was coming from, I understand that you might see it the other way. A lot of times they'll be like, oh, thank you so much for responding. I really appreciate it. Oh, well. Polite. Like, and I don't always handle this that way uh, on email or on Twitter or whatever, but definitely like politeness is the way to go. That's key. Yeah, you can disarm people who are angry at you very, very often and very quickly if you're polite to them. Like, oh
2: wow, this guy actually cares.
0: It's
1: a good way to go about doing that. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You know, journalism is about people and relationships. Yeah. So you know, that's uh, yeah, but everything is so <laughs> bad. If you go back,
0: if you like fire back at people, and it's like the natural thing if someone criticizes you on Twitter, yeah. the natural thing is to want to defend yourself immediately and make fun of them and whatever fire back. <laughs> and I do that sometimes too, especially if I if I write back quickly. But if you take like a more reasonable and, and respectful tone, it can really um, diffuse situations.
2: Okay, so this is a little bit of a different topic here, but this is something I really wanted to know for a long time. A lot of times when you write about the Caps in particular, but any of the DC teams, you seem to say before you publish your column, like, I'm not a fan of these teams, but I like to look at it from an outside perspective. And you seem to really capture both the fans' emotion, all that just sadness, but you're doing it the inevitable sadness of D.C. sports and the D.C. sports troll you guys all made. And I just think it's so interesting how you all try and capture it. What do you do? What's your mentality going into Caps Game 7 or Nats Game 5 or something like that?
0: Uh, yeah, I am not a fan, and I'm not from here either, which I think makes it easier to not be a fan, or maybe would make it harder to be a fan. You know what I mean? I grew yeah. up in Buffalo, and Ooh. I think that if I was living in Buffalo and working as a sportscaster, yeah. or a sports writer, or a blogger, or whatever I am, um, maybe I would lapse into fandom in a way that I don't hear. I, but I, I follow a lot of fans on social media, and I talk to a lot of fans, and this is not like rocket science, but I think that... I know what the fans are feel. I mean, sort of have a sense of what the fans are feeling a lot of the time. And, and I think maybe more so in the past, but probably still to some degree now. I try to reflect that because I've sort of – again, my job has changed, but I always sort of thought my job was like covering fans in a way, like both what they're thinking and feeling and also what they're doing, Um, which is why, like, Scott was out interviewing you <laughs> when you were waiting for a gnome. Clown. <laughs> Yeah, because that's like a fan story, like how fans react to crazy promotions. Um, You know, that's like a small part of it. But, like, I think I wrote something during the Caps playoffs about it was after game four of their second round series when they kind of outplayed the Penguins and outshot the Penguins and still lost. And it just felt like this is what the Caps always do in the playoffs. They outplay the other team and outshoot the other team and lose anyhow. And so I wrote something that was, like, kind of grounded in, like, some facts and some analysis about I never want to hear about how they've outshot the team again. But it was also something that a lot of fans were feeling at that time, like enough of these kind of moral victories. If we play like this, we're going to win the series or we're going to win the series eventually. Like it doesn't – in a short series where random things happen, it's not a satisfying answer after a certain amount of time. So I wrote that. But, yeah, I don't – and like the dirty secret, which I shouldn't even say because I don't necessarily want people to know, but it's kind of true, is that a lot of times in the playoffs – part of me is happy when the teams lose because it means less work and it's like a lot of work covering a playoff series but it's like a really short-term happiness because the long-term is like our interest and in page views and traffic and all that is dependent on teams winning and and being alive and being relevant and so like maybe in the middle of may there was a day when i was like Whew, playoffs are over for both teams i can sleep in you know what i mean yeah and like two days later i was like what in the world am i going to do now and so it's, like, a short-term boost. But, like, I've got, you know, my daughter is rooting against the teams because she wants me to be home at night. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's, like, I wish that she didn't feel that way, but I understand why she does. So you're
2: coming from Buffalo, another team that's – or another city that's kind of riled in their own sports sadness. Do you ever pay attention to that? Or do you – you...
0: Mostly just from, like, when I talk to my dad, who's, like, a Bills fan. Oh, okay. like a very mild Sabres fan. Okay. He's not, like, a super hardcore sports fan. But but I, I do believe that – it's way, way worse in Buffalo, and people oh, here yeah. don't – I mean, it's different for you guys because you're young, and you don't rem- probably remember – you don't remember – you weren't alive for the Super Bowls? No. You weren't alive for I, the super Bowls. N- No. 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 Right. Was that like no. 94, 93? 93. Yeah. yeah. The, no, 92. 92. 90, yeah. of 92, so you guys weren't alive. No. no. Right. So it's a little bit different for you. You can make a legitimate claim to super sadness. But, like, for a 30-year-old who says, oh, my gosh, these teams haven't won since I – or, like, say a 35-year-old, oh, my God, none of these teams have won since I was, you know – nine or whatever yeah like in buffalo it's none of these teams have won since ever oh yeah well never xavier, cincinnati <laughs> Z- well xavier oh yeah cincinnati's good too cincinnati well, yeah, good, for losing. good for losing yeah, yeah right. Yeah. well xavier
2: tries to pump that up in the tournament but you know yeah. in the basketball tournament right. but 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 yeah no a lot they of
0: them won a national championship
2: or made a final four
0: have they never yeah. made a final four
2: no we got to the elite eight in 2004 2008 and then this year in the history of Xavier they've never made a final four they've made 3 elite 8s
0: one of them was with David West right no
2: actually it wasn't david west missed the elite 8 by a year he won the ap player of the year in 2003 but that was his senior year and xavier made their first elite 8 in 2004 so yeah david was probably the best player in xavier history and he didn't even make an elite 8
0: i d- i did do an item at one point um about i mean it's like so, there's like so many convoluted ways of measuring it but it was about like cities with major pro sports teams that have had the fewest or the the most combined seasons without going to a conference championship Um, because that's like the drought that we're in the middle of for Washington because we haven't had a conference championship even since 98 with the Caps. But Cincinnati is one of the other cities that hasn't done it since then. Well, a lot
2: of of people from Xavier, a lot of my friends are from Buffalo Uh because they come right just down across. Uh And I know one guy that's going to be listening to this, Connor, he's going to be – just completely empathizing with everybody from Buffalo because he's diehard, right. you know, and a lot of those people. Are. I'm using him as an yeah, example, yeah, yeah. but I think
0: I think sports are not 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 meant as a judgment one way or the other, but I think sports are a bigger part of the community fabric in Buffalo than they are here, oh, yeah. just because we have so many other things going on here. And I also think, and people don't want to hear it here. But the Nationals and the Capitals have been really, really good in the regular season. I understand it makes it more disappointing when they fail in the postseason, but you also get to watch a lot of wins. And the Bills haven't made the playoffs. I think they've, they've made the playoffs in it's like 15 years. A now, long time. Like too bad. long for poor the Buffalo. Sabres have been consistently bad for a few years, too. So it, it's a lot different. I mean, you're just not offered anything in the way of the entertainment, and the Capitals and Nationals are
1: offering like virtually year-round entertainment when you combine the two. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you look at the that sports landscape right now in D.C., though, and every league is so different, but what team do you think is going to be the one to do it? Because I feel like every team right now has personnel that can. Yeah. But, you know, you look at the the Wizards and the NBA, and the NBA is just so – there's so much difference between the top, the top of it, and yeah. the, the yeah. next, you know? So I yeah.
0: – I mean, I think for like five years in a row, my answer – or like the most obvious answer is the Nationals. Yeah. I think like the Capitals are going to make the playoffs, I mean, presumably still next year, but for the last decade, you could say they're going to make the playoffs every year. But the NHL playoffs are a total crapshoot. Um, the Wizards haven't been in that situation until the last few years. But like you said, they're not, no one sees them really as like a title threat. And the Redskins, like who knows? But again, I think they're better. I don't think anyone sees them as a title threat. But the that's the advantage of, they're in a league where fewer teams make the playoffs right. compared to... Um, you only have to win one series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They and they have, right now, anyhow, they have a weak division. And they have the kind of starting pitching that you would think, eventually, in a short series, if you have Strasburg and Scherzer, huh. you'd think that that would be enough to at least get past the first round. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Never assume. So. Yeah. I mean, last year, Strasburg didn't pitch in the playoffs. So, I guess, two years he hasn't pitched in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it seems to me to make the most sense that if anyone was going to do it, it would be the Nationals. I'm like, well, it could be this year, right? I mean, It could be. It could be. It could, the bonus it year could of be. It, it, I mean, they have the best offense that we've be. ever seen. From yeah. yeah. And they, to go along with two top-of-the-rotation pitchers who are dominating, plus Gio, who's pitching like a legitimate all-star. I mean, you say, oh yeah, the bullpen's terrible, but you know that they're going to get pieces. You know that they're going to get at least one reliever.
2: Yeah, well, we hope. Yeah, I mean, at, at Mike Rizzo, come through for us.
0: <laughs> for sure, they're going to get at least one reliever. And you have to assume more than one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, even honestly, even without that, I wouldn't necessarily bet against them right now. You know, even if they would like, obviously if they're not going to go into the playoffs with this bullpen. They're not going to do that. But even if they did, and then they were like moving, like I heard Scott Allen, a previous guest on your podcast, yeah. <laughs> or maybe maybe a future guest, depending on how you do this. But talk about like possibly putting Roark in the pen. He's pitched out of the pen before and he, he could do it. And he has like kind of that bulldog mentality and whatever. I think they have enough good arms that, like, you know, these games are kind of crapshoots a little bit in the playoffs. And if you've got, you know, are going seven innings and you've got the offense that they've got, like, I don't think it's totally unreasonable to say that even if they didn't make a move, they could
1: win a playoff series or two, or two with this team. Well, bold. we'll, we'll have to see. Um
2: one a, one. You
1: want to go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I was actually. I did want to ask you about Shake Shack because <laughs> <laughs> last night about yeah, it. yeah. Because I I think I've had a Shake Shack burger like once, but it's I don't I don't have a desire to, to go there. But I know it is a cult favorite. And I know the Marlins uh, radio broadcasting crew love Shake Shack, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like also an East Coast West Coast thing because there's In and Out Burger over there and you know yeah so yeah do you have a strong opinion about it i wasn't sure when i saw the tweet well i'm a vegetarian oh okay never mind that. and i don't <laughs> like mushrooms
0: and the vegetarian option at shake shack is a mushroom burger called the shroom burger i think so no i've actually never been to shake shack before yesterday the day before this podcast is being recorded when we went because we had been huddled under an overpass or whatever like an overhang for yeah. like 90 minutes during a pouring rainstorm and finally it let up enough that Scott decided he was going to go get a milkshake at Shake Shack. At so the Nats game. At the Nats game. Yeah. And there's no line because – shakes
1: are good.
2: I, I haven't been there to a Nats game. I haven't been at the really? Nats game Shake Shack.
0: What you got to do? It's abs- I mean, the lines are absurd and comical. You just don't understand why. <laughs> I mean, I love walking around at the Nats game and, and kind of taking in the atmosphere and, you know, not necessarily sitting in one seat. But if you're at Shake Shack, you're, like, making
1: a inning-and-a-half commitment. It's a commitment. Yeah, probably More than that. Okay. Because for shakes, there's, there's the, the, cold, the cold line, the cold line next to the the real line, so you can just up and get your shake. And yeah. You're out of there in five seconds. But well, the
0: cold line yesterday, there was one person in front of us because yeah. it was cold, <laughs> it was cold and raining, and like no one wanted to stay. So I I got the concrete, I think it's called. Okay. Do you know? What it's like a. It sounds kind of dangerous. Or, oh, is it cement? cement I don't know. Cement. Maybe I think the they code. call it concrete. It's like it was like custard with um, chocolate toffee and. Yeah. It was delicious. It was great. But it was like a little weird to eat in a driving rainstorm. <laughs> but yeah. I
2: <laughs> Get a little watered down.
0: I mean, I'm sure you guys know this. People are critical of Nats fans for going to games and doing everything but watching the game or but paying oh. attention to the game. And I think that's part of it. And yeah. I, I think that it works for this town, but people will make fun. Like, if a, a hardcore baseball fan walked by that line oh, in I the know. middle of the games, they would make fun. Well,
1: what's so funny about the Nats games is on the lower bowl. Lot, there are lots of dedicated fans down there, you know, having their gloves, keeping score. Yeah. If you walk up behind the scoreboard up there, it's just like yuppie city, and yeah, everyone's yeah. drinking and not paying attention. It's so funny. There's a stark. Totally difference agree. The totally two agree. But I think
0: it works because I don't, the people who are at... it's like the scoreboard walk yeah, and yeah. The, whatever it's called the Budweiser the Terrace Bud now, or whatever it's called yeah. now. Yeah, I I think that they can stay in their own areas and not really yeah. bother each other. Where oh. it gets to be a problem though is like people. Like the hardcore people you're talking about don't like it when people walk up the aisles right, right. Um, during the innings. They don't. They hate when people do the wave, which I don't know if it's a Washington thing more than anywhere else. But they definitely hate the idea that people are going to the game to hang out yeah. rather than to pay attention to the game. And I'm more, if I'm going out like on my own time with my, mon- my own money, I'm more of like a hangout person than a watch the game person. Um, but I understand, I guess I understand both sides of that. I mean, you guys, yeah. you, when you are, you're keeping the book. I mean, we're, well, I mean, we don't keep a book. Oh, uh, no, no, we're, we're baseball not, fans, so we're yeah, the yeah. Whole time. yeah, I mean, I'm
2: not gonna, I'm not gonna get up and probably stand for, I'm not gonna, like, walk around the stadium for two innings to get a hot dog or, like, a Ben's Chili Bowl if I'm on the third deck or right. something, yeah. but, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not sitting there keeping score. If you go to the bud
0: Loft area, though, it's like a, it's like, there you go, I mean, it's like a happy hour or whatever, it just doesn't, Yeah. like, the game is a total afterthought. Well,
2: because of my broadcasting games being at night and being from Cincinnati and not getting back from college and stuff I've only had a chance to go to like one or two games this year just because of how the schedules work. Yeah. and I was sitting there the other day because we went like last week that 18 to three game against the Reds mm. and I was looking at the Bud Light the Bud Loft or Terrace whatever it was I was like the place is packed yeah. Yeah. those people are having a great time Yeah, I want to be out there uh, or at least for, yeah. <laughs> but I
0: think that part of part of I, mean, I don't know. I'm not like a sports marketing expert by any means, but I, I think that they have made Nationals Park seem like a fun place oh, for yeah. like the millennials in town. And I think you'll see a lot of young transplants here wearing Nats hats where you wouldn't see them wearing Redskins or Wizards hats, I think. I mean, just my perception, maybe it's because the Nats are winning divisions too. But I think that they have made it... Um, kind of a hip thing i don't know hip is the right word yeah, but kind I, of like a cool thing to do you i know? agree and
1: I th- you can get standing room only tickets for pretty cheap at, and that's i think yeah. five bucks still yeah, right yeah. or ten yeah. bucks or yeah. Like yeah yeah so you can get in there and you don't you even have to feel like you should pay attention to the game because you're in there for five bucks which is like a bar cover charge right yeah you know, yeah you go hang out and have a beer yeah no
0: but, i mean i think it's interesting how part of going to national park is definitely a social experience
2: oh, yes. oh yeah for sure well Dan,
0: okay. so, so that, we, well, you didn't well, ask me what, what they should do with the left-handed relievers. You said you play. do nothing about baseball. Though. <laughs> I'm not a baseball expert, yet. Yeah. No, that's good. I think that's good. We've gotten away. We've done my strong, my strong suit.
2: Okay, so about two weeks ago, you wrote an article promoting Tony Kornheiser's new restaurant that has a podcast studio in it. And in the article, you were basically pleading for a podcast. Or, well, maybe not Pleading.
0: I mentioned that, that <laughs> maybe mention, maybe there maybe
2: mention maybe mentioning a couple of times that you would enjoy being on yeah, a podcast. What, like, all I, I'm saying is you always have an invite on here if you want I, to
0: yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, like, I appreciate that. can we afford to park up here? I want day? my name, <laughs> I want my name in the in the bright lights. I want my name in the title of the podcast the I mean, I don't yeah know if it, I, I don't know if I would work I don't know if I, at some point I think that a lot of writers get antsy and want to do other mediums, maybe, yeah. and I don't know that I thought I would be that person, but now I'm like. Everyone has a podcast, and I don't have a podcast, and I'm like, I've written so many things, but I haven't spoken as many. <laughs> he's, so here, he's
2: like, these two guys have a podcast, and yeah. I'm sitting here like working for the, one of the biggest newspapers in the world, I don't have one yet.
0: Yeah, we, yeah, but we <laughs> have a very successful podcast lineup that you can check out at your local podcast.
2: <laughs> Wherever podcast Where, may be. Yeah,
0: exactly. Wherever fine podcasts are found. I don't know. I would like to have a podcast, but thank you for the invitation. Yeah. If any- I ever quit and like rage quit and need an outlet to speak I'm <laughs> too just, many emails Convent yeah. <laughs> on the emails that'll That's be it. the day all
1: right.
2: all right dan thank you very much really coming. appreciate it hope you all enjoyed that interview with dan steinberg be sure to listen again next week we'll have an interview coming out next friday steve your twitter handle
1: at smiller underscore nine six there you
2: go you can check out steve on twitter there you can check myself out at paul Fritchner. all one word f-r-i-t-s-c-h-n-e-r and topsteptalk.com is where all of our written content stuff like that is located to so go check all that out but we'll see you next time on the top step